Our second lesson today comes from the Gospel according to John. I'm reading the first six verses of chapter 14. We continue with open hearts and um, sincere desire for God to speak to us. Listen. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the word of the Lord. So what do you like to talk about after dinner? Is it the day's activities? Is it the evening news that you're about to watch on TV? Is it some philosophical point that's on your mind or a recent athletic contest uh, among one of your favorite teams? Is that what you talk about after dinner? What is it? This is where the disciples find themselves when we turn to John 14. It's after dinner. See, John 13 is about the Last Supper. The Last Supper before Jesus was arrested. John 13 is this Last Supper where Jesus told his disciples that his time had come and he was about to depart from them. It was also at that dinner as you can read, that he had taken a towel and he got a basin and he poured water into the basin and he washed their feet and he said, as I'm washing your feet, so therefore you should wash one another's feet. It was also at that dinner that Judas betrayed him. And it was also at that dinner in chapter 13 where Peter promised that he would never betray Jesus. And you remember, Jesus says, before the cock crows, you'll betray me three times, Peter. All that is at that dinner in chapter 13. So the scene at the end of that dinner and the beginning of chapter 14 is somewhat troubled. Their hearts are troubled. Their hearts are full of uncertainty. Their hearts are full of anxiety. Their hearts are full of fear. Their hearts are full of disorientation. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. I suspect we need to hear those words today. Many of us come today with heartaches, troubles, disorientation. What was it that kept you up last night? What is it that is most disorienting to you today? We have often read these words of Jesus from chapter 14. Do not let your heart be troubled as we gather in this place to celebrate someone who's moved on to the next life. We read them at funerals hoping that God's word will speak comfort and care to our hurting lives. And if it's not the personal crises that we might name, maybe it's the recent events in the news that trouble our hearts. 
embassies under siege, protest and burning American flags in various countries, wars raging on and tensions continuing, especially among religions. And then we have politicians bickering badly and Congress going home refusing to deal with real issues. Jesus' words are on target. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Or perhaps a better translation, trust in God. Then the passage goes on as Jesus tries to encourage his disciples even further. There are many rooms in my Father's house. You know the way I'm going. And Thomas says, no, we don't know the way. Jesus, how can we know the way? And Jesus says, the way out of fear? The way out of disorientation? That's what he means. Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus speaks these words of comfort to disoriented and fearful disciples, and these words intend to bring encouragement to them, direction amidst the confusion that they know the complexities of their lives. But these words of Jesus, these words of Jesus have also become words that alienate and divide. They raise questions about just who is this Jesus and what does he mean here in chapter 14? And we find ourselves with even more uncertainty and perhaps more troubled hearts as we sort these words out in the face of growing religious diversity and plurality and also with increasing fundamentalism and certitude of truth claims that are tearing apart our society and tearing apart the very social fabric of the globe. These words of Jesus, which are spoken to troubled disciples so uncertain about what was happening in their very lives on that very evening, have become words thrown at others in an effort to claim religious superiority. These words intended to provide care and calm the disciples have become perhaps stumbling blocks for us as we strive to live graciously and generously following Jesus. Is Jesus the only way? How do we live well in these days as Jesus' followers, especially with increasing religious diversity and uncertainty? Clearly, our world needs sincere reflection on these words. And this question remains especially pertinent today as we have the opening of the Families of Abraham exhibit at the Visual Arts Center this afternoon at 3 p.m., something that I've been working hard on with other faith leaders, Muslims, Christians, and Jews in our metro region, working on this opening across recent months. Is Jesus the only way? Well, first, I want to affirm and reaffirm who Jesus is, is for us. The opening words of John's gospel put it very poetically and powerfully. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things came into being 
through him. And without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him is life. And the life was the light of all people. The word became flesh, the passage continues, and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. Those words from John 1 affirm who Jesus was and who Jesus is. Jesus comes from God. Jesus is God, full of grace and truth. The Word, the Word God, has become flesh, taken on a human form in a person, Jesus Christ. This is the defining characteristic of Christianity. God is primarily revealed in a person, Jesus. For Judaism, for Islam, though Moses and Muhammad are receivers of revelation, God is not revealed in them in the same way as persons, but in the words of the Torah and Quran. However, through this All the scriptures and all through our tradition, this point about Jesus is confirmed and it's elaborated and it's clarified. We can see and sense God in many places, in nature, in faces of others whom we meet, in quiet calm, in crazy chaos even. We can see and sense God in the pages of Holy Scripture which exists to reveal God to us. We can experience God in sacraments as we gather around the table or celebrate baptism. We can see and sense God in worship, in music, in many places. Yet Christians have always said, we see God best, most clearly, in Jesus who we say is the Son of God, the Word made flesh, the Savior of the world, the Lord of our lives. Jesus is the light. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the hope of the whole world. Jesus is the clearest and best revelation of God anywhere for us. So this is what we affirm as Christians. Want to know God? Get to know Jesus. Want to know what God is like? Well, look at Jesus' life and look at his teachings and his actions. This is what God cares most about. Want to know what the kingdom of God is about? Well, look at what Jesus is about. Healing and helping, forgiving and loving, promoting life and light in every moment. Want to know how to find God as God? As God, how to find life as God intends it? Trust and follow Jesus who loves and cares for others and remains generous and selfless and always advocates for peace in a harsh world. Trust and follow Jesus who gives his life for the sins of the world and rises from the dead that we might have forgiveness and life too. Jesus shows us and teaches us truth. Jesus embodies the way, the way toward wholeness and hope. Jesus embodies life in its fullness. In Jesus, we have clarity and connection, the essence of the divine. 
So when Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled, believe in God, or trust in God, trust also in me, it's another of Jesus' loving and caring words that intend to calm our fears and redirect our lives. God is in our midst. It's another way of Jesus saying, there is no darkness so dark. There is no situation so bleak. I'm in your midst. God comforts and cares for us. It's not an arrogant statement that's meant to be used to assert the highest truth claim. It is Jesus trying to assure his beloved friends that all will be well and all manner of things will be well because God is present in Jesus and life is always full of God and nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus. I read a poem recently that moved my heart and I want to share it with you. It goes like this. I had lunch with a friend today. What really happened was that she got down on hands and knees and crawled through the narrow doorway of my heart to the hearth where she knew, though I did not, a divine spark still glowed within under a mound of sad gray ash. She was not afraid to get herself sooty. She gently separated the ashes, uncovering the glowing spark, and softly blew her love into its orange heart until it burned bright as the sun and burnt into dancing flames. After dinner... With troubled disciples and lots of uncertainty, Jesus is once again getting down on his hands and knees and crawling through the doorway of our hearts, blowing on the sad gray ashes, getting sooty, and bringing life. He says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. He's saying, I'm in your presence. Don't ever forget it. I'll never leave you. That is what we believe and what we seek to believe more. That's how we seek to live, too, as faithful followers, opening our lives to Jesus, the Word made flesh, the Savior of all. Jesus is indeed the way. Jesus teaches the truth. Jesus embodies the best life that God gives. And Jesus empowers us and intends to be the foundation and the focus of our lives. So then, what do we do with this way and the truth and the life? What do we do with it? Realizing that Jesus is speaking to the disciples and therefore speaking to us, we claim these words and we seek to live appropriately. Jesus is the way we come to God. Jesus is the truth for us about God and God's purposes. Jesus is how we find life. And I think that means, at least for me anyway, less talking about the way or less arrogant in-your-face assertions about the way and more action that lives the way, the way of Jesus. See, other religions are neither 
affirmed nor rejected in this little passage. In fact, Jesus was most inclusive in his love. Why do we find ourselves so often inclined toward exclusive claims or condescending superiority? That's not the way of Jesus. He didn't talk or act that way. What if we could have less talk about this truth and what is truth and more love and action that embody truth? What if we could put less emphasis on our divisions or on our dogma? On who or what religion is supreme and live with love and life and purpose and servitude and humility and justice which all the great religions stand for? I really love the way uh, professor and scholar and Christian Devout Christian Houston Smith puts it. This comes from his book, The Soul of Christianity. Houston Smith says, God is defined in Jesus, but God is not confined to Jesus. When we see Jesus, we see God. When we know Jesus, we know God. When we understand what Jesus is about, love and light and peace and forgiveness and hope for the whole world, we know what God is about. God is defined in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. But that does not mean that God is confined to Jesus. God remains far greater than our minds can comprehend. God can work and do much more than we think or understand. God's acceptance and love or not of others and their credentials is something we leave to God. Why do we have to sort that out? Why do we? Our calling is to be people of the way, people of the truth, people of the life. And that means loving as Jesus loved with inclusion and generous grace. That means working and serving as Jesus did with compassion and care, with patience and peace, striving to promote the kingdom of God, which is about civility and community and hope for everybody. When Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus is urging a loving, intimate relationship like he had with the Father. He's not excluding other possibilities for knowing God. He's urging our attention to the one that we do know through Jesus. The emphasis intends to be on the relationship, as Ginger's talking about, the relationship with the Father not on no one comes except. Jesus doesn't talk like that, nor function like that. His main mode of living was not excluding others, but inviting all, saying, come, come all. All who are labored and heavily burdened, come, come all. He included those who we would have normally excluded probably people of other faiths. Story after story in the New Testament about that. He includes people who we do exclude, outcasts, people different from us, 
people ostracized in our culture. Jesus was most inclusive always. Why is there this tendency to be exclusive? What is it about us that makes us want to be so exclusive? That's not the Jesus way, not the Jesus truth, not the Jesus life. We should leave all that up to God and be so careful with our certitude and our arrogant claims about superiority. We want to stay focused on the way and the truth and the life following Jesus. A man sits on a cardboard mat in front of a church in a very busy city. He just sits there and he has a can in front of him. People are walking by. People are laughing. People are enjoying life all around him. The man just sits there. He's blind. He's begging. In fact, his sign says, I'm blind. Please help. But the man receives almost no attention. Life, beauty, vitality are all around him. He just sits there on his cardboard mat. Then a woman walks past. She actually goes past him. And then she turns and notices him. She goes back. She stoops down in front of him. She picks up the man's cardboard sign. She pulls out a marker. She turns the cardboard over and she begins writing a new sign. The man's uncertain what's happening. He reaches and he feels her feet. The woman finishes the new sign. She stands up. She says nothing. She walks down the sidewalk. And then people gradually began to notice the man. More and more put money in the can. More and more throwing money on the cardboard mat in front of him. He just sits there. He begins to sit up because he notices all this activity. So many are paying attention and giving to him. He's overwhelmed. Finally, the woman returns. She stands in front of him. He feels her feet. He remembers this woman. This is the one who came earlier, who came by before. He says, what did you do? What did you do with my son? And the woman says, I wrote the saying, but I changed the words. She walks off, and you see this sign. It's written like this. It's a beautiful day. I can't even see it. Change your words. Change your world. Change your words. Change your world. Jesus, the Word made flesh. Jesus, the way, the truth, the life. But that does not mean we take those words and pound people over the head with them. It means we seek to live the way of Jesus with love, with grace, with generosity, with hospitality to all. God is defined in Jesus. Yes, indeed, clearly, beautifully, awesome. But God is not confined to Jesus. 
God is far bigger and far better than our limited understandings and God is always at work in every moment more than we know and more than we can imagine. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and bless God's holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not God's benefits. Amen. Let us pray. You are the way, O God. Show us new faith and deeper commitments following Jesus. Amen.